Hi, and welcome to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge with Senior Ministers John and Anne Giuliano. Have you ever wondered about how to better connect with God? Well, that's exactly what we're going to help you with in this week's show, where you'll learn how to more fully love God, grow spiritually, and help others. My message isn't new news to you, but what I'm hoping to achieve from my message this morning is teach something that we already know in a way that would take it from knowledge to revelation. Because if you've grown up in church life, you know a lot of stuff. But the way you can tell whether it's just knowledge and information or revelation is the degree of freedom that knowledge has brought in your life. Because the Bible says the truth sets us free. It's the revelatory. Did I say it right? We'll go with that. The revelatory truth that sets us free. Head knowledge does not bring freedom. Truth that has become revelation changes us. And you know the amazing thing about truth once it becomes revelation? We don't have to try and change. The truth changes us. Have you ever had a penny drop moment? Something you've been battling with and struggling with for years, striving to overcome. And in a moment, a word from God where the penny just drops. You're immediately free. You've been trying for years. And the revelation truth can change everything in a heartbeat. And that's what I pray would take place for some of us this morning. So my, my message title is Inside Out Life. But if you want to know the real working title of my message that was too wordy and too long to put up on the screen, do you want to know that? Okay, so if you're taking notes, how to get what you want, comma, if what you want, comma, is what God wants for your life. So if what you want is not what God wants for your life, you've come to the wrong place. I cannot help you with that. I'm so sorry. You'll have to go elsewhere for wisdom on how to get things that even God doesn't want you to have in your life. But if what you want for your life, and I think I'm speaking to the majority of people today, is what God wants for your life, and you've come to the right place this morning, and I believe I have a word that's going to help you get what you want. Does that sound good? Yeah. I want to start by sharing with you a really powerful Bible verse that God gave me a few years into my marriage. Don't you love it? When the Holy Spirit just awakens a scripture to you and speaks to you out of his word, it's like a word just for you at the right time, at the right moment. It changes everything. Don't you love it when God speaks to you? It's just so comforting and so helpful. So I wanted to share with you a verse God spoke to me about two years into my marriage. Are you ready for it? Okay, if you'd like to put up on the screen is Proverbs 14 verse 1. A wise woman builds her home, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Thank you, God. What an encouraging word in season. Now, you don't have to be a rocket science this morning to work out which of the two sections of that scripture perhaps applied to me. It wasn't section A. I was not the wise woman building her home in this circumstance. I was the foolish woman 
tearing my own house down with my own hands. It's got to be the definition of insanity, doesn't it? Taking what I loved the most in life, which was my husband and my marriage, and tearing it down with my own hands. Could you imagine coming over to someone's house and they're on the roof, just pulling off tiles, throwing shingles, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm just tearing my own house down with my own hands. You know, do you think on my wedding day that was my intention? Do you think when, you know, I was walking down the aisle, I was like, excellent. <laughs> A person to destroy. <laughs> you know, do you think I was saying my vows and just thinking in my heart, oh, I hope this goes south. <laughs> I really hope this goes pear-shaped. I hope I'm miserable. He's miserable. My dream for this marriage is to end in divorce. Do you think that is my motivation? So what went wrong? Well, I've got good news for us this morning because it wasn't my intentions that were wrong. It wasn't my dreams and my goal. And in fact, my desire was for a healthy marriage, an amazing life. I wanted what God wanted for my life. And I actually think that most of us fall into that category. Sorry, I'm seeing my own hair. It happens when you have long hair. I think most of us fall into that category. Most of us want what God wants for our life. We want the marriage that God's called us to have. We want to be the kind of parent that raises godly children. We want the business that God has called us to have. We want to say yes to the calling of God and the ministry and the purpose that God has for us. And yet maybe you can relate to the feeling of tearing down your own house with your own hands, even though it's the furthest thing from what you want. You're not getting what you want. So what's wrong? It's not that you want the wrong thing. I just had the wrong methods of going about getting what I wanted. It wasn't working. And maybe you can relate to that. So badly wanting things. And in fact, we often see it the worst in the things that we care about the most. Yeah. Our immediate inner circle of relationships. Our ministry and our calling. The very thing God's put on your heart to do on this earth. They're the areas we're so vulnerable. And that can often be the areas we see the biggest disconnect between what we want and what we're getting. But the good news this morning, it is nothing wrong with what you want. If what you want is what God wants for your life, we're going to talk about method this morning. Is that cool? Because yeah. Yeah. the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over but expecting a different result. So we're going to not do that anymore after this morning. <laughs> okay, I just want to read from Genesis because the good news for us is God gets this. And this is not a new dilemma. This is a human dilemma. This is something we all struggle with, we all battle with. And I want us to feel so encouraged today that we're actually all so similar. We struggle with the same stuff. And we have over generations, over the years, and it even began in the Garden of Eden. I would like you to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him. You may eat fruit, eat, freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the knowledge of tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. So right from the beginning, God had a way of doing life. 
He had a plan and he had a purpose and he had boundaries and parameters. And he had to have boundaries and parameters and choice because for there to be free will, there has to be an option. Without the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, there is no free will. We're just robots. We're angels programmed. But God wanted relationship. God wanted love. So there had to be a choice. And so God had a way of doing life. And then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, if you'd like to turn to there, it all went wrong. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the sermon replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, if you've grown up in church life, you've probably heard that story many times before. And if you've never heard it before, I'm so glad you heard it here this morning because it speaks to the origins of who we are and what we've been put here on this earth to do. But Adam and Eve get a really bad rap in this story. Wouldn't you agree? Like, they're to blame for everything. It's like... When we get to heaven, who has ever thought, like, I'm just going to go straight up to Adam and Eve, and it's not going to be like a handshake, thank you very much. It's going to be like, what? What did you do that for? But I just want to have a look at this story, because I'm not so convinced that they're as far off the mark as we sometimes think they are. You see, I'm not convinced that Eve had the wrong intentions. Because do you know what Eve wanted? She wanted what God wanted for her, and that was to be like God. That desire wasn't unbiblical, rebellious, wrong. It was the very thing God had created them for. If you read in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it says God created Adam and Eve, male and female, in his likeness, in his image. And you know why that made Satan so angry? Because the very thing Satan wanted but could never have, which was to be like God, was the very thing God gave Adam and Eve. They were made in his likeness. They were made in his image. And they were sent to earth as part of the enemy's punishment and torment to be reigned and ruled over by mankind who were made in God's image when the devil wasn't. So he hates us because we have what he can never have, and that's the image of God, the likeness of God. And so what the devil did, he came to Eve and he tricked her into forgetting who she already was. And do you know that that is the essence of sin? Sin is as simple as this. It's a case of mistaken identity. You're forgetting who you are. You're forgetting 
forgetting whose you are. Now, when non-Christians act like non-Christians, of course they're going to act like non-Christians. They're not Christians. They don't know who they are. And they don't know whose they are. And so we just sin in degrees of mistake and identity. And all sin starts with a lie that ends with a wrong, that, sorry, that goes to a wrong thought that ends with a wrong action. And so in the garden, Satan lied to Eve and she fell for it. And she tried to grab the very thing God had for her with the wrong method. She tried to grab the fruit without God. She tried to grab a shortcut and grab everything God wanted for her and had for her, but by cutting God out of the picture and doing it without him, doing it out of obedience, doing it out of relationship. She stopped trusting God and she just grasped for it in her own strength. And it wasn't that she had the wrong idea or the wrong intentions or the wrong motivation. She just went about it the wrong way. And the wrong method brought the curse and brought judgment and brought death to the earth. The resulted in Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. And the results are so significant because in her going about trying to get the right thing the wrong way, the curse set them out of the garden, which meant that they were living outside, which meant that they were toiling and striving in their own strength, and they were forever separated from the relationship with God on the inside that would enable everything God had called them to do and called them to be. So they were cursed to forever remain on the outside without access to everything they needed to do everything they wanted to do. There's no bigger torment than that, is that I know what I want, I know what God's called me to be, but I can't have it because I'm now on the outside. Aren't you glad that God didn't turn his back in that moment and wash his hands of us? Because I've got good news this morning. Jesus came to create that place for us again, to invite us home, invite us back on the inside. I want to talk about gardens for a moment with you this morning. Give me a wave if you're a gardener here in this place. Got a bit of a green thumb. A couple more than the 9am, maybe you were home gardening. And you came to the 11 a.m. because you had plants to water and grass to do stuff with. So you've got to do that on a Sunday morning. I know nothing about gardening. Um, a couple of times people have given me plants and it's kind of like, thank you. You really don't know me, do you? <laughs> but thank you. It's the thought that counts because that plant will be dead within, I don't know how quick a plant can die. Well, however quick a plant can die with no love, no water, no sunlight, nothing, it dies. Um, so I'm not a gardener, but I love other people's gardens that they've put hard work and effort into. And when I was a little kid, my grandmother had a friend called Leonie Ward, and she had a beautiful garden. She lived in the country on a few acres, and she had one of those traditional country farmhouses. We've either all visited one or we've seen one in Anne of Green Gables or movies like that. It's just me, I love that movie. And this, this house had a full wraparound veranda and there were beautiful vines just creeping down and hanging off the whole veranda. And surrounding the house were acres of gardens. Everywhere that I could see was gardens, orchards, vegetable gardens, beautiful big old trees, weeping willows. Does anyone know what a weeping willow tree is? They're often lining the river um, in the country and they're just so majestic, they're so big. And there's like a big canopy and you can, as a little kid, you can go in underneath there 
and it's all open underneath and you're just hidden from the world and you're in this secret, amazing place. How special are gardens? How beautiful are they? Has anyone read the book, The Secret Garden, or seen the movie, The Secret Garden? Another, I grew up in the 90s as a child, so all 30-somethings, hopefully you've seen The Secret Garden. It's this amazing story of a bunch of kids who are a bit forgotten and don't have a place in the world. And they're in this huge old house in England. And they find in the gardens this deserted garden and there's like this overgrown area and there's a hidden door. And they find the key in the forbidden west wing of the house. And they unlock the garden and the kids tend the garden and bring it back to life. And it's like they've found a home. It's like they've found a special place just for them. You need to go see the movie if you haven't already seen it. Have you read the book, The Shack? Or seen the movie, The Shack? I love the imagery of that movie. I love the imagery of that book. It just paints beautifully a picture of the Holy Spirit tending to the garden of our lives. And there's a scene in it where Mac, the main character, he comes into this garden and the Holy Spirit is down on the ground and the Holy Spirit is pulling up weeds and tending to the garden. And Mac is kind of like pushing through weeds of this garden. He's not very impressed by the garden. He kind of questions the Holy Spirit like, it's a bit messy, it's a bit disorderly, kind of, what are you doing? And then there's this scene in the movie where the camera pans up to this bird's eye view. And when you look at the garden from a bird's eye view, it didn't look much on the ground, but when you look at it from a bird's eye view, you just see it is amazingly landscaped and structured and all the things are growing in these beautiful patterns and colours and you can just see there is totally a design, there's totally a purpose and the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing the whole time. And then the Holy Spirit actually informs Mac that, you know, this garden where pulling up roots and tending, this garden is your heart. And yes, it's a bit of a mess, but I know what I'm doing and I have a plan and a purpose. And together, if you will help me, together we can make something beautiful out of it. I remember at state conference last year, probably because I'd just seen the movie and I've read the book, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and gave me a picture of my life being a garden. And I just felt like in this picture I got up at state conference, I just saw it was like Jesus himself just knelt down in the dirt of my heart and my garden. And he was just inviting me to come kneel down and join him. And I just had such a sense that he was saying to me, Mandy, if you will kneel with me and stay with me in the garden, and we will tend the dirt together, then no matter what weeds we have to pull up, no matter what muck we have to deal with, we can fix it and we can face it together. What do you picture of when you picture the Garden of Eden? It must have been such a beautiful, flourishing, majestic place. What do gardens represent in the Bible? They symbolise life. They symbolise paradise. They symbolise a place of rest. Do you think the Garden of Eden would have been stressful to be in? I think it would have been so peaceful, so amazing and so beautiful. It symbolises fruitfulness, calling and purpose. Adam and Eve's calling and purpose was found in the garden. It wasn't just a permanent holiday. They had work to do. They had purpose. They had calling. God had called them to multiply, flourish, subdue the earth, have dominion. But it was all done from a place of rest in the garden. 
There was intimacy with God. They could reign and have dominion in the garden. They walked and talked with God. There was faith, trust, identity. Now I have a question for us this morning. We all know what happened. They mucked it up and got chucked out. But have you ever thought of God's original plan and what was meant to happen? Have you ever gone there in your mind thinking, what if they hadn't have mucked up and what if they hadn't have left the garden? Have you ever pictured how God planned to subdue and bring his glory to the outermost ends of the earth? Do you think Adam and Eve do you think Adam and Eve were meant to leave the garden and work and toil in the hot sun, hard yakka like under the curse, and then occasionally pop in and check in with God and go back out to the hard, harsh world? Or maybe do you think the plan all along, now this is going to be a very high-tech diagram, so let me know if I'm going too fast, okay? Just let me know if, you, if I've lost you. So let's say this is Eden. And let's say, this is the world. Are you following, Josie? Fee, are you following? Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So we've got Eden and the world. Have you ever stopped to think that God's entire plan from the beginning was that the glory, his glory would fill the earth from Eden out? They never had to leave. They were never meant to leave. The whole plan was that they'd stay in the paradise God had created them. And out of their relationship with him would come the expansion of Eden. As they cultivated this garden and this ground, its edges would start to increase. They didn't have to leave relationship with God to do all and be all he created them to be. They just had to stay in Eden. And then Eden's boundaries would get bigger and bigger and would all come from a place of rest. All comes from a place of rest. We were designed to live from the inside out, from Eden out. I want to go through quickly some gardens in the Bible. There is the Garden of Eden, where paradise was lost. Now, it's not going to include every single garden in the Bible. So if you know of one that I haven't mentioned this morning, please don't come and tell me afterwards that there's some hidden garden somewhere in the Old Testament that I forgot. The next garden we find is not a literal garden. It's the promised land of Canaan. And the reason I include this in the garden is because you've got to know the place that plays in the history of the Bible. You see, to the Israelites, the garden, sorry, the promised land, it represented paradise found. If you were an Israelite, you grew up knowing that God's original plan for you, his people, was to have a special land where you and him would dwell in paradise. And you were growing up as a people knowing that that had forever been lost, that there was a disconnect. And God's whole plan for the promised land, the Bible says it's flying in milk and honey. The Bible talks about it being so flourishing that there were giant grapes. It was a paradise. He had put aside a place on the earth where he could once again come down and dwell with his people. And do you know his original plan for the promised land and the Israelites was out of that intimate relationship would come the salvation of the earth. But the Israelites didn't even do that God's way. And then he had to send Jesus. And the Bible in Hebrews talks about the promised land as entering 
into God's rest. Can you just imagine? It'd be like coming home. For the Israelites, coming home to the garden, we finally get to be on the inside with God again. The next garden we come across is the Garden of Gethsemane. And I find it so amazing to know that Jesus, the night before he would be arrested, Jesus, the night before he would die on a cross, die on a tree, to become the tree of life that was lost in Eden, to come into our hearts because it didn't work with Eden. It didn't work with the promised land, but God knew what would work, and that would be planting eternity in our hearts. And that's what the Bible means in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, where it says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the heart, in the human heart. Jesus went to Gethsemane, a garden, to meet with God so that he could have the courage to die on a cross to become the tree of life. And the reason when we become a Christian we invite Jesus into our heart is because that's where he's planted Eden. He's now chosen us to be the special place where he will come and dwell with us. And that's what the Bible means when the Bible says, God says to us, I'll never leave you again. I'll never forsake you again. Because it didn't do well the first time. Didn't, like, he's like, I can't leave you guys for a minute. <laughs> Look what happens. I just go back to heaven. I return in the cool of the evening and it's all just, if you mucked it all up. So he takes what the enemy tried to use to kill, steal and destroy. He takes the constant rebellion of the Israelites and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to make my home in you. I'm going to die to have access to your heart, which is Eden. I'm going to die so that I can live within you. And I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and you will never have to do life on your own again. This whole world was designed to flourish from Eden out. And your entire world, you, everything in your sphere of influence, everything you're called to do and be and have, everything that you want is designed to flow from Eden out in your life. That's why Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, because everything, everything, my marriage, how I treat my spouse, how I raise my kids, if I can effectively be a kids pastor and a youth pastor, if I can manage our finances well, you name it. Is that everything? Think of anything. It's everything. And it is all dependent and flows from and relies upon you and God in the garden. And that's it. That's it. We were never designed to be running around out here. That's the curse. That's striving and stressing and panicking and worrying. And we're, we're not in peace because we're not in the garden. And it's the definition of insanity to be curse-free but willingly on the outside. <laughs> to be putting yourself back under a curse that Jesus died. You never, ever have to be separated. Never have to leave him ever again. Your mental health, your choices, your emotions, your work, your business, your dreams, your future. 
It is all dependent on this. It all flows from this. And this is meant to be the centre of everything. There's a book that I read called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Has anyone read it? Some old uh, people in the room. I thought, you know when you come across something and you're like, oh my goodness, has anyone heard of this book? You know, my dad's like, Mandy, it was like written in the 70s. Like a whole generation of Christian pastors has already read that book. But you know when you've just discovered truth and you think you're the first person to discover that truth? Well, there's this principle in the book where it talks about a very similar principle to this. It talks about your circle of influence versus your circle of concern. So I just want to write, draw you another diagram. Did you like my first clever technical? I think for a left-hander, I'm doing very well writing on any kind of whiteboard or chalkboard. We've got other left-handers that understand? Yeah. As a left-hander, you're doomed to forever smudge out your own work as you write on anything. It's quite, I don't know what God was thinking. Okay. So, so this is what said the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It talks about having private victory before you can ever have public victory. It talks about being before having. That you have to be the spouse of the marriage you want to have. You have to be peace and learn to be peace in God before you can have peace externally in your storms. It talks about the principle of being before having. Private victories always precede public victories. And then there's this diagram in the book. And I'm like, this looks very similar to the diagram we just looked at. Isn't it amazing that truth is truth? And a secular book, just gonna, if it's true, just going to back up what God's already said in his word. And so they've got the circle of concern. And they've got the circle of influence. And in the circle of concern, whoops, let's forget the L, is everything you could worry about, fret about, focus on, get distracted by. It could be world events. It could be blaming your spouse for the state of your marriage. It could be your kids' behavioural issues. Anything that you're worried about, concerned about, responsible for, that's in your circle of concern. But what's in your circle of influence is you. And this book teaches that if we focus on everything out here, which we control and manage, and out here, you're not in the garden. So you're not driven by peace and love, you're driven by fear. And when the fear levels rise in any circumstance, the desire to control rises. Just ask any parent. I know. And you know, there's this, there's this fable called The Goose and the Golden Egg. Has anyone heard of that? Basically, it's by Aesop, and it's this fable that talks about someone in an effort, using wrong methods to get good golden eggs, they end up killing the very goose that produces them. And I could see in my parenting, even recently, I was obsessing over the golden eggs, which is behaviour. We want good behaviour. But when I looked at this, I realised that some of my goals are wrong, and I was actually killing the goose, which is long-term relationship with my children. Because I was being driven by fear 
my desire to control was going up, even if it meant harming relationship and decreasing my influence over my children because they don't respect me as much because I've hurt their feelings or I've parented out of anger. And can you see how this works? If we get back in the garden, back in Eden, it's not that we don't discipline, it's not that we don't have things we've got to sort out and do, but we can do it from a place of rest and love and faith where whatever we do is flowing out of that really good place within us and the fruit is completely different. The fruit is completely different. It just depends what you're focusing on, where it's coming from. So what do we do in response to all of this? Some of us have to stop and come home. You know, I had someone come up to me after the first service and said, I wish my brother had have heard this 50 years ago at the start of his Christian walk. I'm so convinced that there are so many Christians that have a ticket to heaven, but they're not doing life in relationship, not intimate relationship, not Garden of Eden, not me and God kneeling down, intimately tending my heart. And God has a garden inside of each of one of you. He has a place that is a place of rest. It's a place of safety. It's an oasis. And you were born to live there and stay there and never leave there. And I'm just, I just think there's too many Christians that are living out here. When you're called to live in the Garden of Eden, how crazy insanity is it for creation to say to our maker, I'm too busy trying to get what I want to come into the Garden of Eden where I can have everything that I want. I'm sorry, God, I'm too busy to read the Bible, to let my world revolve around you. My kids are in sport. They've got tutoring. We've got a business to run. I'm too busy trying to get what I want without you to come sit in the garden and actually do my life from the garden. That's got to be the definition of insanity. We've got to stop thinking the answers lie out there. Do you know what happens when we live in here? We blame others and we victimise ourselves. We don't take responsibility because we think we're powerless, when actually if we just get back here, we are completely powerful in every situation God's put us in. Here, when you take personal responsibility and stop blaming and stop trying to manage and control everything externally, everything can change because you have changed. Even if nothing else changes, you've taken back your initiative, You've taken back your power and your dominion because you've gone back to the garden. You can finally rest. You can stop being driven by fear and control. You can basically stop being Martha and stop being Mary. And didn't Mary seem like a much happier person in the story? If you get to shut your eyes. In closing, I just want to paint a picture. I hope this morning that you can picture the garden. I hope this morning that you can see that Jesus literally went to the ends of the earth and died to be planted in your heart. That he was so committed to intimacy with you and to having a land where he could dwell with his people. That he died on a tree from a garden to plant a garden where he would be the tree of life in your heart. And this morning as your eyes are shut, I want you to picture your whole life. 
everything you want to do, everything you want to have, everything you believe God's created you and called you to be. I want you to picture the concerns, the challenges, the responsibilities, the storms. And carrying them, I want you to picture yourself coming home to the garden and laying them at the foot of Jesus. And then I want you to picture yourself kneeling down in the dirt with Holy Spirit and saying, let's do this. I'm ready. I've tried doing life out there and it doesn't work. I'm ready to try your methods, God. I'm ready to surrender to your way of doing life. I'm ready to park myself in the garden and never leave. I'm ready to let go and to trust you and to learn what it says in Matthew in the Message Bible, your rhythms of grace. For your burden is easy and your yoke is light when I do life from a place of rest in the garden. While everyone's eyes are shut, I want to give an opportunity to people this morning to begin that relationship with God. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, but you've only known religion, but you've never had an intimate, personal relationship with God like I've described this morning. Maybe it's your first or second or fifth time here, and you realise this morning that every part of our life is dependent upon and flows from and surrounds our relationship with Jesus. That life simply doesn't work without Him. And being a Christian is not just believing in God because the devil believes in God. Being a Christian is surrendering your life to God. It's saying, I'm ready to do your methods, your way. Teach me, God, I surrender. Thanks for choosing to listen to the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge. If you like this week's podcast, then please share it with a friend. More information about who we are is available at lifesource.org.au. On behalf of Senior Ministers John and Anne Giuliano, we look forward to connecting with you next time at the Life Source Christian Church Audio Lounge.